What do you think? Should I just do the whole sermon with these teeth in? Today we're going to look at the book of Isaiah. Turn there. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I know, that's pretty gross, isn't it? So the real reason I wanted to dress up as the beast, it's, it's the first time in a couple decades where I've been able to feel like what it's like to have hair. Uh, <laughs> no, but hey, thank you for being here. This is a great day. This is a fun day, and I hope, hope you're going to have a blast today. Um, so I've shared on, on a few occasions how growing up, um, I, was, I was teased a lot. I was bullied a lot, and um, I was the big, oafy kid who'd rather play Dungeons and Dragons than football or basketball, so I was a pretty easy target. And the, the, worst, the worst incident happened in sixth grade. Uh, we were on a class field trip, and uh, a group of guys kind of cornered me out in the woods away from everybody else. Um, no, one could really, no one could really see us. There we go. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, and, the, um, and so they, they, cornered us, they cornered me out in the woods, and, and then this group of guys proceeded to pee all over my legs. And then, then one guy, in particular the ringleader named John, he, he grabbed me and then proceeded to parade me around to some of his friends. And they all laughed, and they thought it was just the most hilarious thing, but for me, it was humiliating. Um, and, and I rank it as one of the most heartbreaking moments of my childhood. Well, the years went on, and, and man, you know, like, I hated John. I really did. I would, I would dream of beating him up, like grabbing and punching and kicking and just not stopping. And I developed this whole revenge fantasy. Through most of middle school, I played out this revenge fantasy in my head. Um, but, you know, as often as the case, years go on. Um, John moved away. No one ever heard from him again. I never heard anything from him. I went on into high school. And then, and then in high school is when I accepted Christ as my personal, my own Lord and Savior. And so that was a major turning point for me. And, and one of my really good friends from church, because I, I made new friends at church. I'd never been to church before. Uh, his name was Chris. And he had been a Christian his whole life, much more mature, and I, I really looked up to the guy. Well, he, one summer, he went on a missions trip to Haiti. He went on a two-week trip down to Haiti, and, and then when he came back, he was, he was so excited, as often is the case when, in a trip like this, and he was just pumped, like on fire for God. And the first Sunday back, the first Sunday back, he grabs me. Oh, there are my horns. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> um, th and so it's the first Sunday back at church he grabs me and goes hey Greg Greg I gotta I, I got meet I gotta introduce you to someone this guy I met at the trip he's amazing he's so inspiring um, Greg this is John and there he was the guy I had spent years dreaming of just beating to a pulp was standing in front of me I didn't say anything, I just said, nice to meet you, and I walked away. Um, I walked out of the youth room and I was just reeling. I was filled with just this tornado of emotion and I did not know what to do. But I knew I had to do something. 
So I walked, I walked back up, walked up to John. I said, John, do you remember me? He nodded his head. And it, it was tense. You could tell. And I, I kind of stared him down a little and said, I want you to know that I forgive you for what you did to me in sixth grade. And at that, his body just released. And he thanked me. He apologized. He said he was, he was such an idiot. He was so stupid back then. And we talked a little more, and then we went our way. And I never saw John again. And little did I know that that moment in time, that single decision that I made as a 17-year-old would be a defining moment in my life. That that choice, revenge or forgiveness, that single choice would drive me over and over again for the rest of my life. That was the day that I chose to say I believe in forgiveness. And that's the line of the Apostles' Creed that we're going to look at today. We've been in the middle of this series going line by line, phrase by phrase through the Apostles' Creed, and, and today the phrase is, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. So let me ask you, do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? Like, come on, really? Would your spouse say you believed in the forgiveness of sins? Would that one friend who kind of trashed you to your other friends and they watched how you responded, would they say you believed in the forgiveness of sins? What does it really mean to say, I believe in forgiveness? What does that mean when we say it as part of the Apostles' Creed? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and so really when we talk about forgiveness, there are really two parts to forgiveness. First is God forgiving us of our sins. And then second is us forgiving others of sinning against us. So that's really, there are two parts that we're talking about here, and we're going to touch on both of them. It's a little shorter of a service, shorter of a sermon, so, so it's going to be a, a bit of a breeze. We're just going to hit these pretty lightly today. But I absolutely believe that God has something to say to you today. And whether for you, maybe you answer that question and you say, you know what, I don't really believe in the forgiveness of sins. I, I want to punish people when they wrong me. Or maybe you just go, yes, I, I absolutely believe in the forgiveness of sins. In fact, I'm a pretty good forgiver. I don't hold grudges. I, I don't enact revenge. I'm not passive aggressive. And then some of you will say, yes, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, but your life might beg to differ. That when you actually look at when you are wronged, when you are hurt, your life doesn't quite play out. That you believe in it as much as you think you do. So those are sort of three ways we can respond to this question of, do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? So first, I want to start with a definition. I want to start with a definition of what the forgiving of sins, what does forgiveness mean? And so for this, I, I, I want to turn to um, Pastor Matt Chandler of the Village Church down in Texas. Um, I really like some of the stuff he was, he's been writing and, and preaching on the Apostles' Creed. So, so here's a definition that he gave. Forgiveness is releasing someone from their wrongs 
fully, freely, and forever. Forgiveness is releasing someone from their wrongs fully, freely, and forever. Now, if you'd like another definition, we could turn to an equally wise person, my wife, Pamphoa. When I asked her earlier in the week, I said, hey, hey, what do you think the definition of forgiveness is? So she said, forgiveness is giving up the right to punish someone else. I'm like, okay. And as the one she usually punishes, I like that definition. (laughs) Forgiveness is giving up your right to punish someone else. So so let's see what Scripture has to say. There is a ton in Scripture about forgiveness. That should not surprise any of you. This could be the first time you walked into a church, and that statement would not surprise you. Because even you would know that Christians are supposed to forgive other people. They're supposed to be forgiving people. Okay. So what what are we going to look at? Where do we turn out of all of the options? Well, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to look at Psalm 103. And the, just the first 12 verses, not the whole thing, just the first 12. And what I love about Psalm 103 is it paints this incredible picture of what God has done for us. You see, this is, this is what's called a psalm of thanksgiving. Uh, sometimes it's also called a psalm of praise. And, and you'll see it. It starts out with the word praise. Um, but this is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise where it talks about who God is and what God has done for us. And so, so in this one, I want you to particularly pay attention. I want you to listen for the statements about what God has done for us. And I've highlighted them in yellow in case you're a little sleepy from last night. Here we go. Praise the Lord, my soul, my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now he starts talking about his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now that's that's an amazing psalm to meditate on. If you're ever feeling down on life, down on church, down on God, anchor yourself in the first 12 verses of Psalm 103 and it'll get you in a good headspace. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So there are three sentences that I want to focus in on today. Three sentences out of this psalm that, that I want us to, to lock in on. Okay? And because these three ideas that the psalmist hits 
are fundamental to forgiveness. They're fundamental to receiving forgiveness from God, and they're fundamental to giving forgiveness to other people. And if you struggle with forgiveness, okay, and for all of you out there, and I know there are a lot of you, if you struggle for, for, with forgiveness, chances are really, really good that you don't actually believe one of these three statements. Because these three statements are the forgiveness killers. They will destroy forgiveness in your life. You won't be able to receive it. You won't be able to give it. That's why these three things that the psalmist talks about are so, so important. So first is verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. This says that God is forgiving. God is forgiving. It comes out of his character. It comes out of who he is. And if you don't really believe that God is forgiving, you're not going to go to him when you fail. You're not going to see him as an ally in your pursuit of Christ-likeness. In fact, you're actually going to distance yourself from him. And I've seen it a thousand times. You start getting involved in something that you know is wrong. So you stop coming to church, you stop going to life group, you don't return the texts from your church friends. Some of you might even be doing that right now, and this is kind of your big change to come to church right now. And some of you are trying to reach out to someone and they're ignoring you. So we do it a lot. And what this means is you don't really believe that God is forgiving. And what's hard about this one is the biggest obstacle you and I have to believing that God is forgiving is our experience with our earthly parents. We love to say that church is what has shaped our view of God. That might be true, but it's how we, inter- we have interacted with our parents since birth. That's, that's what has influenced how we interact with God. So maybe you had parents that were quick to anger. Parents that threatened to withhold their love if you did wrong. And and then when you did wrong, they did withhold their love. Maybe you had parents that threatened. If you do that, I'll blank. Um, Anything from I won't love you anymore to I'll go kill myself. Um, Or I'll disown you if you get a tattoo. So maybe you had parents who were quick to anger, not slow to anger. They were critical and judgmental, and they were just waiting for you to fail. And then they could come lash out at you and punish you. If that was your experience of one or more, two parents, first off, I'm sorry. That is not what God wanted for you. And also, it means that you have to work extra hard to believe that God is forgiving. Because your natural tendency is going to be to believe he is punishing. But God is forgiving. That's the first thing we have to understand. That God forgives us when we go to him. Okay? So that's the first. The second is verse 10. 
Let's take a look at verse 10 again. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. This one says our sins are serious. Our sins are serious. Do you believe that? Do you, do you really believe that our sins are serious? That we deserve punishment? Do you believe that you deserve even hell for your sins, for your selfishness, for your failures and mistakes and rebellion against God? If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that our sins are serious, then what's going to happen is you're going to minimize them. And I love how, how this, this particular verse is phrased that he doesn't treat us like we deserve. How many times have you sat and you're upset with somebody for something and you want to say, I hope he gets what he deserves. I hope she gets what he, she deserves. I mean, that's Weinstein right now. I mean, if you're following the news at everyone, everyone just wants him to get what he deserves. And yes, like what he has done, if, if even a fraction of what has come out in the news is correct, that is a horribly twisted criminal. But we all want to punish. We want to give people what they deserve, especially if they hurt you personally. But this verse says God doesn't do that. He doesn't treat you like you deserve. Now that's amazing. It's better than me, I can tell you that. Probably better than most of us. So, so what happens when you don't really believe this? When you don't really believe that sins are, are serious? Well, you start to rationalize your sin away. You start making excuses. You start th saying things like, that are, that are sin, but you, you start saying they're not really sin. You start making excuses, okay? You start doing stuff that is clearly against the Bible. Whether you start having sex with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you're living together, and you say, you start making excuses. You say, well, we're going to get married anyway. So you start making excuses for your sin, I'm not, I don't get that drunk. We just go out for a few drinks and you start making excuses. If you've ever found yourself making excuses for your behaviors that other people are concerned about, you don't believe this. You don't really believe your sins are serious. And then the other thing we do, the other thing we do is we start making, we start rationalizing and coming up with excuses. And my favorite one is, like I'm sitting talking with someone, and I, I'm like, you know you should forgive this, uh, this person. And, and they're like, I know, I know, I'm, but I'm just human. Have you ever heard that one? Have you ever said that one? <laughs> I'm just human. Like the really good Christians could do that. But me, no, no, I'm just human. Thankfully, our God isn't. So when we don't believe it, that our sins are serious, um, we're going to make rationalizations. We're going to minimize our sin. We're going to make excuses. Okay? Third on the list is verse 12. Two verses down, and here it is. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. 
Transgressions, that's another word. It's sort of a synonym for sin that's used in, in the, it, throughout the Old and New Testaments. And so this one says, God's forgiveness is complete. God's forgiveness is complete. We don't have to add anything to God's forgiveness. Okay? Now, this is, a, this is a common verse. Many of you have probably seen this. Um, maybe you've, you've heard it in church, seen it on Instagram, okay? And it's for good reason. It's a pretty amazing promise that God's forgiveness of us is so complete, the best metaphor they could come up with is our sin is as far away from horizon to horizon. And if you've ever been in a place where you can see two horizons, and I can only think of Kansas, because that's just a whole lot of nothing. And you're, you're sitting in the middle of the Kansas, and you can see from horizon to horizon. And that was the metaphor the author chose to say. That's how far God has separated his sins. That's how far he's taken the sins and the punishment you deserve and that I deserve, how far he's taken that away from you. So God's forgiveness is complete. Remember the quote from earlier? Forgiveness is releasing someone from their wrongs fully, freely, and forever. That's complete. So what do you think happens with this one when you don't believe it? What do you think this, how do you think this comes out in your life? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, well, with this one, if you don't really believe that God's forgiveness is complete, you're going to try to do things to complete it. You're going to try to do things to earn your forgiveness. You're going you're gonna to say things to yourself like, okay, I'll never do that again. Okay? Um, I'm going to try harder next time. Maybe you start immediately coming to church. Maybe you make a series of really bad decisions and you end up kind of in your life in a ditch. Then you're like, I'm going back to church and I'm going to, to a life group and I'm going to pray every night. I'm going to read a whole book of the Bible every night. And you just, because you're trying to earn your forgiveness. Because, because there's a part of you that says, if God sees how serious I am this time, then he'll forgive me. If, I see, if he sees that I really mean it this time, not like all those other times, then he'll forgive. That's not how God works. God calls for confession, which is admitting your sin, and repentance, which is a changing of the mind. It's a changing of the direction. It's a turning around the other way. God forgives fully. There's nothing you can do to earn God's forgiveness. There's nothing you can do to complete God's forgiveness. It is complete. And some of you don't believe that. And one of the reasons why you don't believe that is that has not been your life experience. Maybe you are with a spouse who you have to earn forgiveness. You have to work hard enough, then they'll trust you again. Then they'll do this or that. Then they'll love you again. 
or maybe you have parents that in, in a sense kind of force a form of penance out of you. They want to see how badly you feel. And if you don't feel badly enough, they'll make you feel badly enough because they want to see how much you're suffering. Then you can be invited back into relationship and love and acceptance. So if that was part of your childhood, this is hard for you to believe that God's forgiveness is complete. So what is it for you? What is it for you? What is the one of these that you don't really believe? Is it God is forgiving? Our sins are serious? Or God's forgiveness is complete? What is it for you? And a day like today is the time to own up to it and say, okay, God, I confess I don't really believe my sins are serious. Or I don't really believe that you are forgiving. Lord, I'm sorry that I've been trying to earn your forgiveness this whole time. I've been trying to earn your love this whole time. But I can almost promise that every one of us in here doesn't believe one of those three statements. And you will never really be able to receive God's forgiveness or give forgiveness to another person. Free another person from their guilt. You will never really be able to do that until we believe these three things. And that's what it means when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. We're, we're saying, I believe God is forgiving. I'm going to go against the lessons I've learned, the things I've seen, the things I've experienced. I believe my sins are serious. I am not going to minimize it. I'm not, I'm not going to brush away my sin. I'm, I'm going to stop making excuses. Or I'm going to embrace God's complete forgiveness. I'm going to stop trying to earn God's love by do, thinking if I do enough things, then, God will love me again. So whatever it is for you, as we, as we close and recite the Apostles' Creed together, we're going to end on the line, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And now is your opportunity, your opportunity to reject the narratives that you have bought into, consciously or unconsciously. Now's the time, today's the time, every time you see the Apostles' Creed is the opportunity for you to reject the lies you've believed. And for me to reject the lies I've believed. And to say with a loud voice, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. So that's how we're going to close today. Like, like we've been doing each of the sermons, we're going to close by reading the Apostles' Creed together. And we're only going to read up to that line. We've got two more lines. That's next week. So come join us as we finish off. Okay? So everyone, stand on up. And like we do every week that I say, if these are statements that you believe, then say it loud and say it proud. If there's some of this that you don't believe, that's okay. 
You can, you can stand and listen to, to the testimony of those that do believe. If there's some you're wrestling with, and maybe you're, in a, you're, maybe you're in an X-Files position and you say, I want to believe, then your first start is to say it and say, and say God, this is what I want to believe. I want to believe in the forgiveness of sins because the Bible tells me so and because it's who you are. So you can read along with me. You can sit and listen to those around you um, declare what they believe. Here we go. Let's pull it up. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. You can be seated. Join me in prayer. God, thank you that you forgive us. We don't deserve it, but you grant it. It's an act of your character. It's an act of your love for us, and it's an act of your grace. It is not an act of anything we do. God, so forgive me. Forgive me for my sins and my selfishness and my pride and my over-reliance on myself. God, and I stand before as pastor of River Life to pray forgiveness for them on their behalf. God, I pray that they can turn to you and say, God, forgive me, and fully believe that you will forgive them. That is an incredible gift, and I thank you. And I thank you that you forgive us. And because of that, we can forgive other people. You have freed us from our own guilt, for our own punishment, for our own, from our own shame and hell. And you have given us the power and the ability to free others from theirs. God, so let us be a church of great forgivers. Let us be marriages of great forgivers and families and friendship circles of great forgivers. So thank you, Lord. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one through whom we are forgiven. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.